This morning we will be continuing in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and today's hero of faith is the nation of Israel. When the nation of Israel believed God, she walked through adversity. She went around adversity, and she conquered adversity as she submitted herself to the truth of God's word, love, and power. Our verse today is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. It says, Faith opened the way for the Hebrews to cross the Red Sea as if on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to cross, they were swallowed up and drowned. And they actually crossed over on dry ground, not as if. That's just a paraphrase. They actually passed through on dry land. This event was accomplished by all Israel, voluntarily participating in God's divine plans and strategies by faith. Everyone who wanted to leave the slavery of Egypt had to decide to entrust themselves to God's crazy plan of deliverance. (laughs) And I say crazy because it most likely sounded crazy to the Israelites. You want us to do what? (laughs) Blood on the doorpost? What? (laughs) And it would have sounded crazy because God had never before asked anyone to put the blood of a lamb on the outside of their doorway. And he doesn't ask us to keep doing that either. (laughs) It was a one-time deal here. (laughs) But seeing that the prophesied plagues came to pass, just as God had said they would, also brought forth the convincing power of faith. They became convinced that God would do whatever Moses said he would do. Moses told them that if they applied the blood of the lamb to their doorway, that their firstborns would be spared from the last and worst plague of Egypt, they chose to believe (laughs) and to act on what they were told. Very smart. (laughs) Doing what God wants you to do. Always very smart. (laughs) Now, when Moses first went to Egypt, in the beginning, before all this took place, to talk to the Israelite leaders about their promised deliverance. They were thrilled. God had seen their misery and God had come down. But not the way they hoped. (laughs) But they were thrilled that God had at least begun the process of delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. God even showed himself powerful through Moses by performing miraculous demonstrations for them to see, for the specific purpose of helping them to believe. God never asks us to believe all on our own. He's the one that causes belief to happen in our heart. And so he knew they hadn't heard much of anything for about 400 years. (laughs) They were not living in a godly land. They had a whole kinds of indoctrination that was wrong. And now Moses says, oh, by the way, there's this God called the great I am. And he says, and they're like, and why should we listen to you? Moses says, God thought of that. (laughs) And he's given me some ways to help you believe. (laughs) So Moses demonstrated the power of the almighty God was with him. Uh, Moses threw his rod on the ground and it became a serpent. And then it went back to being a normal stick. 
And then Moses' hand became leprous when he put his hand inside his tunic and it became leprous. And like, oh no, don't worry, don't worry. Look, it's gone. (laughs) See, God is great. (laughs) God's hand is at work. And then, um, of course, he was completely restored. And God gave them this evidence. He gave them considerable evidence to believe that God really was with Moses and that they could believe what Moses was telling them. We can see this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, which says, And the people believed. (laughs) They believed when they heard that Yahweh had attended to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery. And then they knelt down and they worshiped. Worship comes from knowing the truth. So the leaders of Israel knew that Yahweh, Almighty God, was indeed actually with Moses. And if God is actually with Moses, then what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Right? (laughs) If we're doing what God wants us to do, life should be easy. Right? (laughs) I hear all that laughing. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And isn't that what Christians today sometimes believe? If I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, life will be easy. Right? (laughs) That is the same question and belief that the Hebrew baby believers of the New Testament struggled with too. If Jesus really is the Son of God and our eternal high priest, then why are so many people trying to kill us? (laughs) Why is life so hard? If we believe in Jesus... Shouldn't our lives be easy? (laughs) The Hebrew baby believers did not understand that Satan was trying to use their difficult circumstances and their old beliefs and mindsets to grow fear, doubt, and unbelief in their hearts so that they would give up on what God had promised to them. Satan knew that if he could make their lives just hard enough that many believers would indeed give up and go back into Judaism, where he knew the majority of them would die. So Satan knew what the word of God had promised. Yes, he knows the scripture, and he likes to twist it for you. (laughs) But he knew that Deuteronomy 28 said, eventually Israel will be unbelieving, and she will reap what she sows, and it will be complete and utter destruction. Their whole world was destroyed their covenant, their temple, and their land. And all Satan was going to have to do was to convince these Hebrew baby believers to go back into religion, go back into legalism. You don't need that, Jesus. We've got lambs. We've got a temple. Even though you have him, just pretend you don't. Because <laughs> that'll work well for you. <laughs> Satan knew many of the baby believers of Hebrews had not yet had their hearts established in grace. God's absolutely free, loving kindness. God interfering in your life because he loves you. (laughs) In good ways, to demonstrate that he loves you. (laughs) They hadn't yet gotten there. Life was hard. And Satan likes to use hard 
against believers. So if they went back into Judaism, it would work like a dream. They would go back over into the Jewish way of being. All of their friends and family would accept them again. People would stop trying to kill them. (laughs) Until, until the judgment would come and every last one of them would die. Gee, how can Satan stop the progression of the gospel through the Hebrew baby believers? Just convince them they can save themselves. And then they'll all perish or get shipped off to a foreign country. And the gospel of grace is shut down. So that's all he had to do was to convince the Hebrew baby believers that life is just too hard to endure such adversity. You can't take it. This is too hard. You need to quit. You need to give up. Come on. You could have it easy over there. That's what he was doing to all of them. They were so familiar with Judaism. Their whole world had been Judaism. What? Give up our whole world? Yep. Because Jesus has a better one. (laughs) An eternal one. (laughs) The Hebrew baby believers of the New Testament were going to have to learn some of the lessons, the same lessons that the original Israelites had to learn. They had to learn that adversity is sometimes endured, sometimes avoided, and sometimes conquered, but always by faith in their God and his word to them. The Hebrew baby believers needed to fight the good fight of faith. They wouldn't call it a good fight of faith if it was easy. (laughs) Because it is faith and trust in God and his promises that destroys the satanic weapons of fear, doubt, unbelief, and condemnation. Those are Satan's weapons against us. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If he can get you afraid, he can control you. If he can get you doubting the very promises of God, he can control you. If he can convince you that the word of God is not true, he can control you. And his favorite one, if he can get you to condemn yourself, He can control you. That's why grace is so important. Satan has no control over somebody who knows who they are, what they are, and whom they believe in. These Hebrew baby believers needed to keep their eyes on Jesus and his finished work of salvation, his finished work of grace. They needed to let their Heavenly Father and their Jesus speak the truths of the new covenant into their hearts over and over and over again. Why? We have very short-term memory. (laughs) Satan will come along and tell you, it's too hard. It's too hard. You better let go of that, Jesus. And so their hearts in order for them to be able to be at rest, even in the midst of great adversity, had to set their eyes on what Jesus had done and not what they could do. When Moses showed up in Egypt with miraculous proof that God was with him, the Israelites most likely believed that leaving Egypt would be relatively easy. Throw a few serpents around, 
<laughs> hey, let's all go. <laughs> After all, God was with them, and God wanted them to leave the slavery of Egypt, so this should be really easy. But they very quickly found out that easy was not on the menu. <laughs> the first thing on their menu was endurance. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like a plate of endurance, please. <laughs> endurance of adversity, which is only really able to happen in us by faith in Yahweh God. When Moses and Aaron first met Pharaoh and presented Yahweh's demand for Pharaoh to let his people go, because they were his and not Pharaoh's, <laughs> They were met with strong resistance. Satan, prompting Pharaoh, didn't want to let the people go. They were of value to him, and he thought he was a god. And so he could make the decision whether or not these Israelites went anywhere. No, 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 no. I'm one of the gods of Egypt, and I'm not letting them go. <laughs> so he, what he tells Moses and Aaron is, your people are just lazy. <laughs> And since your people are whiny and lazy, I'm going to make sure they really work now. And so he increased their workload substantially by causing them to have to gather their own straw for making bricks. When they simultaneously had to make the same amount of bricks as before, or else be beaten. Yay, Pharaoh. <laughs> so their lives went from hard to really hard. <laughs> now, how can this be God's will? <laughs> it wasn't God's will. It was Satan's will through Pharaoh. He made their life impossible to be able to succeed. Satan loves to do that to believers. You'll never succeed. <laughs> Just wait. We can see this in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 5 of Exodus. And it says this. When, and they, the Hebrew overseers, met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting to meet them when they were going out from Pharaoh. So when they got these, the new rules, you've got to keep making the same amount of bricks, but you have to go out and get the straw too. They're like, well, this can't be right. Send somebody who's in charge to go talk to Pharaoh and tell them that these people are wrong. <laughs> this is impossible. It can't be done. So when those people came out from Pharaoh, Pharaoh told them, no, you're just lazy. There's Moses and Aaron. And they said to them, may Yahweh look upon you and judge because you have caused our fragrance to stink in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants so as to put a sword into their hand to kill us. And Moses wasn't sure how to answer them, because isn't this supposed to be easy? <laughs> Verse 22, And Moses returned to Yahweh and said, Lord, why have you brought this trouble to this people? Why did you ever send me? And from the time that I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble to this people. You have certainly not delivered your people. 
Now, doesn't this sound like Moses was expecting their release from Egypt to be easy too? <laughs> Wait a minute, God, I signed up for easy. <laughs> he didn't expect his own people would turn against him. He knew that Pharaoh would be adversarial to him because of God had warned him about that. But not his own people. After all, he came with proof that God was with him. But this situation was very much like second verse, same as the first. This is 40 years after Moses had left Egypt. When he tried to bring a deliverance to a Hebrew and he accidentally kills an Egyptian. And he finds out the people are not for him. Second verse, same as the first. <laughs> this situation didn't look any different from the one 40 years earlier. And the Hebrews still did not understand God's plan 40 years later. They still didn't get it. And now they had just lost their confidence in Moses. They didn't believe he could really bring them forth their deliverance out of Egypt. So Moses was now learning that it's easy to have faith when you've got some really cool miracles in your pocket. <laughs> and everything seems to be going your way. But when everyone suddenly seems to be against you, well, then it becomes a little harder to trust that God knows what he's doing. In fact, maybe a lot harder. <laughs> but Moses knew what to do when everything felt like it was too hard for him to continue. Moses knew what to do when he didn't know how to answer these Israelites. He knew, though, to go to God and let God speak the truth to his heart again so that his heart could be persuaded again to keep trusting God and to even be at rest in the midst of adversity. And that is exactly what happened. We can see this in chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. This is God speaking to Moses, and I have it for you in the literal standard version, so you can hear how finished God's promises really are and how they would have heard it. I've also added the word already in red throughout these verses to emphasize what it actually says in the Hebrew. The Hebrew speaks in past tense. So beginning in chapter 6 with verse 6, it says, this is God speaking to Moses. Therefore, say to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh. When God uses his name Yahweh, he is revealing his true identity as the self-existent one, the ever-present one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one, who is also the up-close and personal covenant-keeping God. This is the personal name of God that God had revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And it continues. And I, Yahweh, have already brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and have already delivered you from their service and have already redeemed you by an outstretched arm and by great judgments and have already taken you to myself for a people. And I have already been to you for God, means as God. And you have already known that I am your God, Yahweh, who is bringing you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I have already brought you into the land which I have lifted up my hand 
to give it to Abraham. It means he swore to it. To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And have already given it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. In other words, I am the self-existent, ever-present, all-powerful, all-knowing one who is also the up-close-and-personal-covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. <laughs> and whatever I say is so, is actually so, even if you can't see it. So Moses once again received encouragement by what God said to him. God told him his plans and strategies were as good as done. They were, in fact, a finished work. The Israelites were supposed to believe it was already done because God said so. And that God would take what is real and work it out through them. Sound familiar? (laughs) There was no way that his plans and strategies would not come to pass. So Moses needed to remind the people of who Yahweh God really was and what he was really like. But he found that the people had already determined that it was just too hard. And they didn't want to cooperate with Yahweh God or with Moses. They just wanted to be mad. (laughs) I'm mad at you, God. Goofy. (laughs) So they basically threw themselves on the floor, had a little temper tantrum like a two-year-old, and was crying, this is not what I want. You ever do that to God? This is not what I want. <laughs> and God was probably saying, this is not what I want either. <laughs> they had expected easy. But instead of easy, they had to endure even worse hardship than before. They couldn't see the promised end. All they could see was their own fear, pain, Doubt, unbelief, and condemnation. (laughs) And that's because they weren't looking in the right direction. They were only looking at what they could see, feel, and hear in the natural realm. They kept looking at their own discomfort instead of looking to the self-existent, ever-present, all-powerful, all-knowing God, who is also the up-close-and-personal Covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And it mattered to their own hearts where they were looking. Their own hearts were either encouraged or discouraged by what they gave their attention to. Did they give their attention to what God had promised and said was as good as done? Or did they keep looking at their circumstances and how hard it was and, oh, how I feel. Oh, Lord God Almighty, you've got to do something. Already did. Are you going to participate? It's all set to go. Are you going to believe me and participate? Are you going to sit there and whine? (laughs) That won't get you very far. (laughs) No one will find faith in God by complaining about their circumstances. No one. God doesn't answer us because we whine and cry. God doesn't do something because we complain. There's a way to apprehend what he has already given, and it isn't by whining and complaining. Complaining is a symptom of the disease called unbelief. And it actually increases 
the power of unbelief in our hearts. Ew. <laughs> Instead, they needed to look to their God and listen to him because they were not able to convince their own hearts to believe. Have you tried to convince your own heart to believe? Have you ever been successful at that? <laughs> Even once? <laughs> no, it's always God in his word. It's always his spirit coming to speak truth to us, to open our eyes to things we may not be looking at. <laughs> they needed to let God convince their hearts of the reality of who he really is and what he had already really provided. But they would not. Just like the unbelievers in Jesus' day. But they would not. doesn't say they could not. They decided they didn't like hard. I'm quitting, taking my teddy bear and going home. <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 9 of Exodus. And Moses speaks to the sons of Israel, and they did not listen to Moses. Why? For anguish of spirit and for harsh service. In other words, this isn't about their spirit man spirit. This is a bad attitude. <laughs> this is I want my own way and you're not giving it to me <laughs> I'm not going to participate God oh yes you will <laughs> so God lets them have their own way if they were going to have a temper tantrum and refuse to listen to God through Moses there's a consequence for that they were going to receive the same thing the Egyptian unbelievers were going to receive they get to receive something anyway <laughs> physical judgment and this was true for the Hebrew baby believers under the New Covenant, too. If they wanted to go back into Judaism and act like they were unbelievers, they would receive the same physical judgment as all the other unbelievers, even though that judgment did not belong to them. They could still choose the easier way, and God would let them have their own easier way without losing their spiritual salvation. But their choice to do so would cause them to lose their physical salvation that God had already provided for them. And then they would end up in heaven a lot sooner than they anticipated. <laughs> this story reminds me of something one of my sons once told me. I don't remember the whole conversation, but my son had just barely escaped being hit by a car because he had chosen to do something in an easier way. He thought, it'll be easier if I just do this, that, or the other, instead of doing what he knew what he should do. <laughs> and of course, in the split second when he realized that he had put himself in jeopardy and it looked like he was going to be run over, <laughs> he called out to God. And God saved his tukus. Tukus is Hebrew for hiney. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but God asked him a question. God wanted to know exactly how he was planning to explain to God why he showed up in heaven before his appointed time. <laughs> Why are you here now? <laughs> and his reply was, It was because I was being lazy, and I chose an easier way of doing something instead of doing it the right way. And God's response was something like, Did you learn your lesson? My son's response was, Yes, Lord, lesson learned. Being lazy can get me killed. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And the same was true about the original Israelites of the Old Testament. And for the Hebrew baby believers of the New Testament. They were supposed to be learning the same lessons. They weren't being physically lazy about work. They were being lazy about their spiritual work. They didn't want to fight the good fight of faith. I don't want to. <laughs> they didn't want to constantly listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to. They didn't want to wait for God to bring their deliverance to them. I don't want to. They didn't want to endure hardship either, though. <laughs> Instead, they wanted easy. And so they got what easy could give them. Have you ever wondered why the Israelites had to endure the first three plagues that came upon Egypt? Because they were uncooperative. <laughs> and God had to make them cooperate. He had to bring them to their senses. He had to make them believe that what Moses was telling them was true. God will let you have your own way, but you will very quickly find out that's not easier. <laughs> I think it's probably because they had chosen what was easy instead of choosing what was right. And what was right was faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was also the God of Moses and the God of all Israel. God had already prepared and provided their way of escape, but they only wanted it if it would be easy. And they wanted it right now. They didn't want to have to wait for it. <laughs> so they got what the rest of the unbelievers in Egypt got. Judgment. And even though these judgments were specifically aimed at proving that the so-called gods of Egypt were actually false gods and that they were completely powerless against Yahweh, the plagues also convinced the unbelieving and uncooperative Israelites that they really did not want what easy could get them. They actually wanted what only faith in Yahweh God could get them, which was freedom from the judgments of God and freedom from the hardships of slavery. So by the time the fourth plague showed up, God could start making a distinction between those who believed and those who didn't. It only took three plagues for the Israelites to go, okay, all right, we give. <laughs> uh, that kind of hard is harder than this kind of hard. <laughs> and because the Israelites were finally persuaded that God was really with Moses, they chose to believe God. And the land of Goshen and all who lived there stopped participating in unbelief. The unbelief was bringing the judgments upon themselves. And when they began believing what God was saying through Moses, they started escaping the judgments that were coming upon the unbelieving Egyptians. And they found that believing in the promises of Yahweh God actually enabled them to be willing to endure. They said, whatever God has for us has got to be a whole lot better than this. <laughs> we will endure where we are to get what we really, really want. So they became willing to endure their present hardship because they realized that their God-given redemption was indeed drawing nigh. Their faith finally began to see the reality of the finished work of their deliverance. So when it came time for the last plague to come upon the unbelieving, the plague of death of the firstborn, the Israelites needed to apply the blood of their lamb to the doorway of their homes so that the messenger of death would not be able to touch their homes, or their household of believers in Yahweh. It would have seemed like a crazy thing to do. 
No one had ever done this before. You want me to do what? <laughs> but they had very quickly learned that whatever God said would come upon the unbelieving would in fact come upon the unbelieving. So they believed enough. I love this. God didn't ask great faith of them. <laughs> he said, can you get a little mustard seed? <laughs> they believed just enough to do what Moses had instructed them to do and then continued to endure their present adversity and hardship by looking beyond their present circumstances and to the promises of Yahweh, their great I Am. And their great I Am delivered every believer's home from the most terrible plague. This last plague was the straw that broke the camel's back. The camel, of course, was Pharaoh. This last plague not only devastated Pharaoh's home and household emotionally and financially through the death of the firstborns, but it actually broke through Pharaoh's stubborn pride that was fueled by his wrong belief that he was actually one of the gods of Egypt. His pain and sorrow enabled Pharaoh's heart to relent, but just long enough to demand that all of Israel leave immediately, taking everything that was theirs with them. And all of the unbelieving Egypt agreed with them. <laughs> they wanted those Israelites to leave as quickly as possible and to take their God with them. <laughs> the God of Israel had shown himself to be the one and only great I am. The one and only true and living God. Through the plagues of judgment, the Israelites had grown in their faith in their God. Their God. The one and only great I am. They now knew who the God of Israel really was and what he could really do. But they were still, you guessed it, baby believers. And baby believers are very wobbly <laughs> and can only sustain their walk of faith for a short time before they fall down. <laughs> it's just like a human baby learning to walk. Falling down is just part of the process of learning how to walk and how to keep walking it takes practice. So these Israelite baby believers could believe the truth revealed to them one minute, but still in, in the next turn around and give in to fear, doubt, and unbelief. Just like us. <laughs> so the Israelites definitely believed in the power of the great I am, at least just long enough to follow Moses into the wilderness. Then, once they got out there, their circumstances once again became scary. And their faith started to wobble all over the place. But they were about to learn that by faith in their great I am, they could do more than just endure adversity until their deliverance showed up. They could also avoid entering into a worse adversity through the same faith. We can see this in chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. I have it for you in the ESV. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. You know what that says? That would have been easier. God could have taken them an easier way, but God knows better. <laughs> for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. What did they want? Easy and not hard. War is hard. <laughs> so they would have quit. 
<laughs> and went back into Egypt. God knew that his Israelite baby believers were not actually spiritually ready for war. They were still babies who were still in the process of learning to walk. They needed to learn how to walk by faith and how to keep walking by faith while they were in the midst of adversity before they could be ready to confront and conquer an enemy. So because God knows they are not ready for war, he leads them into what is actually the safest and easiest route, even though to them it looked like he had led them in the longest and hardest route <laughs> that led to an impossible situation. Verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. I love this. <laughs> it's like giving little kids a ninja outfit. <laughs> this is how I want you to see yourself. <laughs> God has them dressed for battle, but there's no way he's going to let them actually have a physical battle because he knows they're not ready for that. But he wants them to see themselves as conquerors, even though they're not ready to actually do it yet. <laughs> I think he did this because he wants them to understand who they really are and who they can really trust. They need to understand that triumph needs to happen first in their heart. They have to believe it's a finished work before they try to practice it. <laughs> their own hearts needed to believe and trust in Yahweh thoroughly so that the triumph could be worked out what they had in the spirit into the natural realm. And they were too wobbly at that point. God knew that they were still just toddlers in their faith. And a big, scary army would overwhelm their hearts with what? Satan's weapons. Fear, doubt, unbelief, and condemnation. And they would once again say, thought this was supposed to be easy. <laughs> this is too hard. I'm quitting. Going back to what's easier. I'm going back to slavery in Egypt. Slavery in Egypt is not easier. <laughs> Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. At first, this seems like a weird random thing to add to the story. <laughs> but God is again reminding them, he's a promise keeper. No matter how long ago he made that promise. He's a promise keeper. He always keeps his word. And what God had told Joseph 400 years earlier was coming to pass right before their eyes. More evidence, people. <laughs> I do what I promised I would do. <laughs> Believe me. Verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord. And I hate that they do this. The word Lord is not actually there. The word is actually God's name, Yahweh. But the Hebrew people didn't want to take the Lord's name in vain accidentally, so they hid it with this word Lord. But what's actually written there in the Hebrew is God's name. Yahweh, the great I am. Yahweh, the great I am, went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. 
and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. God gave these Israelite baby believers physical evidence of his presence with them because they were baby believers. And baby believers needed to see physical evidence with their physical eyes. They didn't have the same capacity that we have. They didn't have God Almighty living on the inside of them. They were baby believers. Baby believers demand signs. They want to see it in order to believe it. And the new covenant is, believe it, and you will absolutely see it. So they needed physical evidence in order to keep believing in God. And God needed them to keep believing so he could get them out of there. (laughs) They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them the way we do. So they were very carnally minded, which meant that they believed the most in what they could see, feel, and hear. And because Yahweh God, even then, was a good, good father, he gave his Israelite baby believers what they needed in order to believe. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was like a pacifier. It enabled them to find rest in the middle of their adversity. They could see physically that God was with them. While God redirected their attention away from the Philistines, the ones they were going to have to go to war with if they went the wrong way, or very shortly thereafter, he directed their attention away from Pharaoh and his armies. Here again we say God says, don't look over there. (laughs) Your answer is not over there. (laughs) This kind of reminds me of when my daughter was really little. I had to find ways to distract her attention away from the golden arches. (laughs) If she saw the golden arches, it was an all-out war. (laughs) She knew french fries came from there. (laughs) And she saw no reason why she should not have french fries every time she saw those golden arches. (laughs) So I became very good at saying, look over there. Don't look there. Look over there. Look over there. (laughs) If you're really excited, they're like, what? What? (laughs) So I had to get her attention away from the golden arches and put it somewhere else, which is exactly what God did for his baby believers. He was saying, don't look at the problem. Don't look over there. See your salvation. So by faith, they had to look away from their adversaries and look unto Yahweh, the great I Am. The great I Am was showing himself faithful through Moses and through his demonstrations of miraculous things like pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. And he did this while they were still enduring their present adversity. They were still afraid. You can believe and be afraid at the same time. (laughs) But what you do when you become afraid is you put your attention on your salvation, on the finished work of the cross. And faith will rise in your heart. So while God had their attention, he provided them with the triumph over all their past adversaries and all their past adversity. God had led them to the Red Sea because God knew what he was doing. Sometimes we forget that. (laughs) Especially if it gets hard. He could see what they could not. He knew the best and safest route to freedom was not the easiest 
or the shortest route to freedom. But all the Israelite baby believers could see was that there was no means of escape. They couldn't save themselves this time. To them, it looked like they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. So once again, they were tempted to let the satanic weapons of fear, doubt, and unbelief destroy their faith by giving their attention over to their scary circumstances instead of looking to the promised salvation and their great I am. They had pillars of cloud and fire that they could physically see, and yet they're looking at the problem (laughs) instead of their salvation. We would never do that, right? (laughs) When Pharaoh had heard that the Israelites were just wandering around the desert like lost little kids, he got mad about them leaving, and he thought they would be really easy pickings for him and his armies. They're just like little kids wandering around the desert. How hard can this be? (laughs) So he decided to show the Israelites who was really the great I am of Egypt. And he tries to attack Yahweh, God's Israelite toddlers. Does that sound like a good idea? (laughs) Poor, stupid Pharaoh. His pride was still blinding him to the reality of his and his country's complete defeat by the one and only great I am. (laughs) And in his spiritual blindness, he tried to follow the Israelites into the Red Sea, not stopping to recognize that the Red Sea could only split open and stand at attention by supernatural means. This was not ordinary. (laughs) Yahweh God had dried up a large opening for his little Israelite toddlers to be able to pass through on dry ground. So they must have had faith, at least the size of a mustard seed, in order for them to go ahead and step into their safe place of passage, surrounded by walls of water. You want me to do what? (laughs) You want me to go where? (laughs) What? (laughs) But they could do it because... Yahweh's Israelite toddlers had finally shut their complaining mouths. One of the first things God told them when they got him out there in the wilderness, shut up! (laughs) Be silent! Why? Because you're increasing your own unbelief by the stuff that's coming out of your mouth. (laughs) They had to quit giving unbelief an inroad into their hearts, and they had to place their attention on their promised salvation. And when they did, Ta-da! Faith arose in their hearts, which enabled them to act on what God had promised, even if they were still afraid. They had enough faith to step into the dry place the passage provided for them. And what they found was that they could do the impossible. I can walk through the Red Sea on dry ground? That's impossible. Is it? (laughs) And then what else was really cool? It was easy! (laughs) Finally, easy had come! And they're still wobbling. (laughs) Is this safe? (laughs) But this kind of easy was the God kind of easy. The good kind of easy. The right kind of easy. 
and they simply walked into what God had already provided. Easy when you really give yourself over into God's hands. I really trust you. I really believe you. I don't have to understand in order to do what you ask me to do. But when the unbelieving Pharaoh and his armies tried to do the same thing, they found out that faith in the one and only true and living God makes all the difference. And this faith only comes from the one and only great I am. Our God is the one who persuades our hearts to believe so that we can trust him and do what God wants us to do. God was the one saying, look over here! <laughs> look over here! <laughs> See that Yahweh God has already provided everything we need for life and godliness. Look unto Yahweh and his faithfulness. You saw how faithful he was. Whatever he said, he did. Look unto Yahweh God and his finished work. By faith in Yahweh God, they could willingly endure adversity knowing that adversity was not their end. Easy would be their end. By faith in Yahweh God, they could avoid either getting themselves into worse situations, worse adversity, by listening to God. Yahweh God would lead them in the way they should go. Our Father always wants to lead us in the way we should go. And that by faith in Yahweh God, they could actually conquer adversity and walk triumphantly through whatever adversity presented itself. By faith in Yahweh God, the great I am, they could even do the impossible. And the same was true for the Hebrew baby believers of the new covenant. They needed to look to Jesus and his word to them. They needed to constantly listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They needed to stop filling their mouths with words of complaint that was caused by fear, doubt, and unbelief. They needed to stop giving their attention to their adversaries and their adversities and instead give their attention to Jesus so he could give them his divine strategies. God will always give us divine strategies. Okay, God, you said everything I need for life and godliness is yes and amen. So that's not the question. The question is not, God, will you? But God, how do we do this together? What do you want me to do? How am I supposed to apprehend what you have already provided for me? They needed to hear Jesus say, Look over here! <laughs> Look over here! Look to your salvation! Look to me! I am the great I am! They needed to believe that their salvation was already a finished work of our Father's grace and that our Father's grace had already provided the right kind of easy to take them through their adversity. This was the kind of ease and rest that comes when their hearts were fully convinced of the triumphal work of Jesus on their behalf. The Hebrew baby believers needed to believe that our Father's grace was always trying to direct them in the ways they should go so that they could avoid either more or even greater adversity. They needed to believe that our Father really does know the best route to freedom even though that route may seem too hard or take too long in the natural. The Hebrew baby believers needed to believe that our Heavenly Father had already provided safe passage 
through their adversities and through their adversaries. But they also needed to remember that they couldn't walk into that safe passage in their own strength. They couldn't keep looking at trying to save themselves by going back into religion and legalism and also by walking faith at the same time. Looking in two different directions at the same time always causes wobbly faith. (laughs) Because when you look at Jesus and hear Jesus, your faith rises. And when you look at the problem and you believe that it's bigger than Jesus, your faith will bottom out. It's still there. We don't lose it. It's just not working for us. (laughs) And it was only their faith in Jesus, who is Yahweh God, that could enable the Hebrew baby believers of the New Testament to walk through their adversaries and adversities on the proverbial dry ground. You see, the dry ground enabled the Israelite toddlers to walk through the Red Sea easily. It was not hard for them to cross the Red Sea because they had entered into the Red Sea by faith in Yahweh and his word. They had seen over and over again in Egypt that whatever God had said he would do, he actually did. So when they realized just how faithful and how dependable their great I Am was, it persuaded their hearts to believe that Yahweh God had actually already provided their finished work of victory. And all they had to do was walk by faith into that victory. When their hearts were fully persuaded of the truth of Yahweh God, that Yahweh God had already given them the complete victory over all the power of their enemies, that's when their walk changed from one of fear, doubt, and unbelief to a walk of peace and rest. And the same kind of finished work, victory, already belonged to the Hebrew baby believers of the New Testament. They just needed to stop looking at their circumstances, stop speaking words of complaint, and start listening to the loving and kind voice of the Holy Spirit. They needed to keep looking at Jesus, who is always going, look over here, look over here. Jesus is always trying to lead us through. We don't always like that. (laughs) We would really prefer to go around. (laughs) But sometimes God knows the only way to get us to where we're going is to go through. And we never go through alone. So he knows how to safely get us to where he wants us to go. Our Father and our Jesus provided them a miraculous escape. Another exodus. The Hebrew baby believers were told when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, I have an exodus for you. I have an exodus for you. But you know what? It's going to sound just as crazy as the first exodus. You want us to do what? (laughs) You want us to run to the mountains? What? It didn't sound logical at all. It was going to be a miraculous exodus. But the Hebrew baby believers just needed to keep believing and keep walking by faith until it appeared. Jesus promised them an escape route that would become just as obvious as the opening of the Red Sea. And it really was. History declares that for some unknown reason, when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, they just suddenly left. They didn't stay gone for very long. The believers knew what God had said through Jesus. When you see this, This is crazy looking. It's crazy to run to the mountains. There's no walls to protect you. You have to trust that God is your protection. By faith. And when they saw the Red Sea of their armies open up, 
They're like, this has got to be it. <laughs> Come on. And they all went. Just like with Israel, they all went out. The tribulation actually helped them to come to the conclusion that I would rather have what God has for me than have what's simply easy. So God actually used the tribulation for their good. He didn't bring it. Pharaoh was the one who brought it. Rome was the one who brought it. But God says, I can still use it. (laughs) I can get you where I need you to be. I can get you to believe. I can persuade your heart if you will let me. You can do the miraculous. You can walk in all that I've given to you if you keep looking at me. Because Jesus is always saying, look over here. Look over here. I am the victory. I am the victory. You have victory. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. You can do this because of who I am in you. Nothing is impossible to them who believes. The biggest problem that the Hebrew baby believers have is the same problem that we struggle with. Where we're looking. Where we're looking. Because Satan loves to come along and speak fear, doubt, and unbelief into our heart. You can't trust that promise. What? Cooperate with God? He wants you to do what? (laughs) You can't believe him. Satan loves to inspire fear, doubt, and unbelief. That's why we have to always listen to the Spirit. Look over here. Look over here. Walking by faith in Jesus will also change the routes we walk. Initially, walking by faith in Jesus can seem like it's too hard. Just ask Peter. (laughs) Walking on water looks like it would be so easy. I'm going to do the miraculous. I'm going to walk on water. Gee, this is great. What? (laughs) I'm sinking? What? (laughs) It suddenly got too hard. (laughs) Sometimes walking in what God wants us to walk in, it's easy for Satan to tell us that's too hard. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? You're dressed for battle. You're a ninja warrior in the spirit. There's nothing you cannot conquer if you know who you are and whose you are. So the Hebrew baby believers were warned not to let Satan trick them into believing that their circumstances were more powerful than their great I am. God had to convince them over and over again, just like he does us, this is not too hard. You can endure. This is not your end. Your promise is your end. Keep walking into your promise. Not by understanding the way, but by understanding the who. Jesus is the one that takes us into our promises. We are powerless to take ourselves into God's promises. And that's a good thing, because we would mess it up. (laughs) Jesus doesn't let us mess it up. He always says, look here. Look here. It's already done. Sometimes when God asks us to do things, it's easy to think, that's too hard. That'll take too much time. (laughs) That'll cost too much money. I remember when God told Mark and I to go to Bible college. (laughs) We were like, what? (laughs) You know how far away that is? What? You know how expensive that is? What? (laughs) 
put a church where? What? <laughs> but does God know what he's doing? Yes, it doesn't matter how long it takes. God's route and God's way is always the best. It will take you into what he has for you. Sometimes we, we want to turn into a Hebrew baby believer and whine and cry that it's too hard and it's taking too long. God, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and he's like, no, baby, something wrong with you. <laughs> You're not looking. Look here. Look here. The victory is already done. It's sure, and it's yours for the believing. Follow my voice, and you'll follow right into my plan for you. You can have all the promises of God active and manifested in your life. You can't do it by yourself. You've got to look here. Look into Jesus. He gives our heart peace and rest because he gives our heart the ability to take him at his word. Amen? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Well, Lord, we thank you for these Israelite toddlers and Hebrew baby believers, Father God, and the, and the struggles that they had. That you, you've put them in your word so that we can go, oh, <laughs> my life isn't a surprise. <laughs> they learned to walk with you, not because of their own strength and their own understanding, but because of your goodness. You taught them to walk in faith, which brings forth the impossible. You taught them, Father God, that no matter what I feel, what I need to hear is you. I need to see you. I need to see that your work is finished. I need to see that you are always within me, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Even though my physical eyes may not see it, my spiritual eyes are wide open. And we see the cross, and we see the resurrection, and we see the ascension, and we see the realities of who you are and what you've provided, because you have given us the ability to see by faith. Father, we thank you that when we look to you, peace comes. When we look to you, rest comes. When we look to your finished work, we begin to understand how to be less wobbly <laughs> and to be able to actually enter in to the impossible things you have for us. We thank you, Father God. Remind us again and again to look over here, to look to the cross, to look to the resurrection and to look to the right hand of our Father where we see you, Lord Jesus, and we see that we are there too. We have already conquered. We're, we're sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Victory is already ours. All we need to do is listen and follow. And Father, we thank you that you do make it easy. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. 
The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.